Hello, 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 everybody. This is Gritty Reboot. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And today we have gone back to the 60s. This this is the true joy of the show is Meredith had never seen this movie before and yeah. it always wanted to. And always. the show gave us the perfect excuse to go back and watch this film because we had both kind of seen the remake. I've seen bits and pieces on cable and wasn't really a fan, but I had seen this movie in college, maybe high school, and I loved it. I thought it's one of the coolest movies ever. And what is the movie? It's the fucking Italian job. Michael Caine. 1969. That's yeah. right. Uh, this British production... Still cool. <laughs> that's that's, I, that's the, the main takeaway that I have just right now. Yeah, I had heard that it was a really cool movie mm-hmm. that is a good caper movie. I just... When it comes to older movies, I'm such a wimp. Like, I just don't, I can't g- gather myself to watch it. And I think it all stems from being, back in when I was a child, my parents would force me to watch all kinds of. All yeah, and I think if, you, if you're forced to watch maybe like old westerns or something yeah, like that, you could grow to really hate westerns or something like that. And James I think that's, Bond. That's one of those situations. Yeah, you had to watch a lot of James Bond. Yeah. I, I never had to do that. So I, I, oddly enough, there's a ton of James Bond movies I haven't seen. When we cover Bond, that's going to be really weird. Seen them all. Because every time they, they go to a new actor, it's a reboot in the series because mm-hmm. they, they change things up. Except for Q, but Q eventually gets changed up too, but only because he dies. We might, when we cover James Bond, we might do like one whole person and then do it yeah that, that's more what i what i meant you know yeah. to do like okay but obviously the lazenby would only be the the lazenby era would only be the one movie and it's actually pretty decent mm-hmm. uh but yeah obviously you'd cover connery but the thing is connery you'd have to cover him again because he does come back for another movie yeah. even though it's unofficial that's so weird there's an unofficially licensed james bond movie how weird is that 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 exists but we'll talk about they that they wanted sean connery back yeah well, we'll talk about that when when we get to james bond today we should stick to the Italian job. Yeah. This this badass movie. Go. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Most memorable quote from that movie. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, it is the most memorable quote from the film. Yeah. So, oh, first off, before we get into it, while the trailer's playing, if you want to get a hold of us, Gritty Reboot at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com, or you can look up Gritty Reboot on Instagram or TikTok. Yeah. We can't bury it at the end of the show, so we're burying it here in the trailer. Yeah, like, Talk it subscribe, over. do all that stuff. Yes, yeah, so you guys know how podcast works. Yeah. Come on, like, subscribe, give us a rating. You know the gist. So, I think the most interesting thing about the Italian job, before we get into talking about the movie, is, and I don't know how much you looked up about box office or anything like that. But the reason the film was made is because Americans figured out that they could do a few British productions each year and turn a profit Mm -hmm. because they were cheaper movies and they do very well over in Britain and they bring them to the States and they make more money. Mm -hmm. And the Italian job was one of those films and it did very, very well in in Europe. It didn't do very well in the U.S. It did not do well in the United States at all. It was a flop. And you ask Michael Caine about that and he'll get really pissed off. (laughs) Yeah, because, well, here's the thing. It's an iconic film. Yeah. And listen, uh, from what I understand, Michael Caine and a lot of the other people involved in the movie were not happy with the American marketing. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I know I've heard stories about like the, like the poster was just something you wouldn't even think would be it is a part of the movie to this kind of movie. Yeah. Do you know what it was? 
It was, uh, I think it showed a scantily clad woman on the cover. Yeah, it's a, it's a racy picture of a woman, yeah. and it, it really didn't give you any indication of what the Italian job was about. Right. It certainly wouldn't give you the idea that it, it's certainly one of the funnest car capers that there's ever There's been. like one mo- one real w- woman character, Lorna, and yeah. that's it. Yeah, I pretty mean, much, yeah. It's a movie full of dudes. Yeah, like a lot of, like, it's like the thing, just full of guys. Yeah. So, it, it, and in that respect, it, like, it, it's fine, but I think it's just very interesting that they considered this film a failure when it's influenced so much popular culture over the years, mm-hmm. so many parodies. The, the line that we, you just heard there, I was supposed to blow the bloody doors off, is, is quoted all the goddamn time. And, I mean, there was a video game. There was obviously a remake that we'll cover later on. But, yeah, th- this movie was just um, in the States written off when it really had a huge cultural impact. And people have loved it for many years. But it wouldn't be the first time we've talked about a movie on here that didn't get the respect it deserved just because of a bad marketing or a stupid executive. And that's what we have here, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Michael Caine was sent to America to do promotion for the movie. Mm-hmm. And when he saw the trailer and when he saw the marketing that was done on the American film, he went right back to London. <laughs> he refused to do any more promotion. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was unable to find that trailer like on YouTube or anything like that. I did look for it, but I know he was sickened by it, yeah. basically. It didn't give off because he's very proud of this film. Very proud of it. Yeah. And it didn't give off any of the vibe that's supposed to be in the picture, which is the whole point of a trailer is mm-hmm. to give you a snippet of what that movie is going to be in two minutes. I was really surprised. Well, actually, I wasn't surprised because I'd heard it was a good movie, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it a, a great deal. I'd yeah, you really did. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you were transfixed. You were laughing along with the jokes and stuff like I that. Like, I like capers. Yeah, and this is a very good caper, and it has a lot of really cool practical car scenes in it. It does. And, you know, before we get in, into the car stuff, I think one of the things I find fascinating, and this was just a, a little bit that I, I stumbled on the research while doing this, is movies do cross-promotion all the time. Product tie-ins, product placement, right? Mm-hmm. Mini Cooper wanted none of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I find hilarious. This movie was like the best thing for them, and they made them pay pretty much like sticker price, right? Mm-hmm. For each one of the six cars I think they had for the movie. They didn't get any discount or anything <laughs> from Mini Cooper at all for this. Well, they were Fiat was actually courting for this movie. Yeah, yeah. They wanted Fiat cars in the movie because yeah. they knew that it would be great for the the marketing. Yeah. And uh, so they were like, we'll give you whatever, how many ever cars you want. Yeah, Fiat was all about yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, they went with Mini Cooper because it's a British staple. Yeah, it very much it's is. It's a very British thing. I see that vehicle, I think Britain. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he wanted. The director I wanted messed it. messed up teeth. I think Big Ben. I think Britain when I yeah. see a Mini Cooper. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So... That's one of the reasons why they went with Mini Coops. And yeah, and, and obviously that would carry over into the, the remake as well. Thankfully, that'd be a weird thing if they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Even though it's weird enough, the remake does not take place in Italy. Yeah, the remake is just nothing. Compared. Well, I, I, you know, I've never seen the remake really all the way through. I've just caught bits and pieces on, on a plane, on cable. You're going to be disappointed. Well, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm, I've seen it, you know, and I think the big story well, we'll talk about next week is Ed Norton. And I have a lot to talk about with Ed Norton next week. Well, we're not going to talk about Ed Norton at all this week. <laughs> the last time you hear the words Ed Norton in this podcast. So we're only going to talk about Michael Caine. Michael fucking Caine. Michael fucking Caine, who I've established I cannot do an impression of. Yeah. So how's the movie start? We start, we have a title sequence, and the 
It's a man driving a red sports car. One Roger Beckerman is who we have here. Mm -hmm. We don't know who he is yet, but he's just having the time of his life driving through the Alps. Beautiful countryside. Not a thing's going to go wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, he's driving fast. Yeah, loving it. This is just a a nice, peaceful, serene time driving through there. He's been doing it all his life. Going through a tunnel and then boom. Yeah. It's a tractor, right? Or a backhoe or something? Yeah. So boom, he has killed the mafia is there to take him out. We don't really know it's the mafia, but you can kind of guess by the way they're dressed. They pick up his car and they chuck it over the side, right down the Alps. It slides all the way down to the river. You see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, It's really cool. Like, it's just a practical effect. And you could, I was telling you at the time, you could see how they dug some of that area so it would have a smooth fall. Mm-hmm. Because the last thing they want to do is shoot it and see it get caught on a rock or an incline or a spot where it just comes up a little bit. But it goes in there perfectly, and they, it goes in the river, and they throw a wreath in after it. Mm-hmm. And this really sets the tone for the movie. Yeah. Because as the wreath hits the water, match cut to Michael Caine coming out of prison. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where our film truly begins. Michael Caine plays uh, Charlie Crocker. Yeah. Music in this in this film was done by Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones. And Quincy, Michael Caine. And Michael Caine. Quincy Jones falling on some hard time, hard times for the working man. It, no, it really was. Quincy Jones was in some financial difficulty, so they were able to get him at a real steal. And he puts together a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah, I was listening to this earlier today, and I was yeah. like, hmm. You know, I, I was kind of jamming yeah, to it. It's a, it's a groovy soundtrack. Yeah, it really is. It, I mean, it, it's very, very listenable. I'm probably putting uh, some of the music underneath us right now that I don't have, but as you can hear a little bit of it. Like, it, it really really is a, a truly fantastic sound. So he's picked up from prison from by his girlfriend, Lorna. Mm-hmm. And my favorite gag here, he's just out of prison and she picks him up in a car that she just stole. Yeah. Yeah. It's the uh, Pakistani diplomat's car. <laughs> yeah. He finds the little flags in there and he's yeah. like, God damn it. I'm out of prison. I'm already committing a crime. Yeah. I thought that was cute. Uh, they had pretty good chemistry. Yeah. Basically, she he tells her that he wants to go to the tailor. So they head to the tailor. And the tailor gives him shit for having old clothes, yeah. which I like. He's like, he's like, when I left, those were the, the, the height of fashion. He's like, how long have you been gone? Life? And then we have a scene where he goes and inspects a sports car, and Charlie hears something with the engine, and he goes to fix it. Like, he's just really good with cars. Yeah. He just knows. Then he gets in the driver's seat, and the guy comes up, and the bill for the car is 200 pounds. Yeah. So he which- get- is eighteen thousand dollars in today's no, money? Right. I have no idea how they. But you forget, he pulls the the billfold out of the engine, mm-hmm. which is one of the things I like. He just sort of grabs that and slides that in his coat. He had that cash stacked aside, and yeah. it's, it's a great little exchange between him and that guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, I got money for shooting tigers," <laughs> and he hands shooting him this lions. giant. Uh, it was tigers. No, it was lions. Are you sure? Yeah. I don't know. It's tigers. Anyway, um, she's shooting lions. And so he gives him a little bit of the cash, and they have a little joke. Oh, you must have shot a lot of lions. I used the machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, this movie is just cool from the very start, and I, and I really dig it. He gets out of there, and he goes to meet with the person who we saw get killed in the intro, Roger Beckerman's home. Mm-hmm. Or obviously, he's not going to find Roger because he's dead. He's in for a surprise. And then we have a scene where Charlie goes into a room with beautiful women, all half naked. And it's Lorna's present to him mm-hmm. from getting out of prison. Yeah, and a hell of a present, to be honest. He's got a piece of paper with some room info on it. He goes into the room, and the woman has a gun pulled on him. She's the widow of the guy that crashed the red sports car. Yeah, this is Roger's widow. Yeah. And he's expecting to come here to get information about whatever the Italian job is. Because the word's already out that he's going to do a job in Italy. Because mm-hmm. when he's leaving prison... 
uh, what's his face that makes a joke that he better like spaghetti because they serve it four times a day in Italian prisons. Yeah. Like he's already going to go deep into the crime world again. So he gets there and he's unable to obviously talk to him because he's dead, but his widow insists that he take the package and continue on with the caper. Mm-hmm. And the package is a film reel. And also lets you know in 1969 how difficult it was to film yourself doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, to leave any kind of video thing behind involved you getting a lab involved. And you don't want labs involved in things, but that's how you develop film back then. Mm -hmm. So it's just this black and white film of him describing what the caper is, that there's going to be millions of dollars moved in gold, and they're going to have an opportunity to hijack it and take the gold and steal it from the mafia and get the F out of there. Yeah, he's he's saying it's $4 million worth of gold bullion. It's He's considered it one of the greatest robberies of the 21st century. So it's $75 already, million dollars today. It already peaks. I think I have it written down what it is. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? yeah I, do not quote me on that, guys. I'm just pulling numbers <laughs> out of my ass. I'm making jokes here. Yeah. He... uh he he's he's already enticed by what this guy's saying in the, in the film. Yeah, I mean he he wants to do the job. I like when it starts. He says hello to him, and Michael Caine, or Charlie, just says hello back, which which I like. Like there's just that little he talks bit between him. friends. Yeah, like he's realizing this is the last time I'll ever talk to you. Yeah, and you know, and I, I think that's another thing that I think that drives Charlie's character. He certainly wants to accomplish this this heist for his friend, mm-hmm. who he knows what happened to him, and you know, it's there's a measure of revenge in this as well. He basically lays out what he has to do to ambush the convoy, where the money is. He gives him a portfolio of his escape route and basically lays out the plan for him. And all he has to do is execute it. Yeah, just execute it. No big deal or anything. Yeah, but it's like hard to do because it's in the middle of rush hour. There's a lot of moving parts in in this whole thing. And it it all has to come together. And he's going to need money, which I think leads to another interesting scene. We have crime lord Mr. Bridger. Now, we, he's the person I mentioned earlier who was in prison joking about Charlie going to go to an Italian prison. Mm-hmm. Mr. Crocker is, I'm sorry, Mr. Bridger is a great example of the corrupt <laughs> prison system mm-hmm. because he's a crime lord and he gets to basically still act like he did while he was free. Yeah. Yeah. He gets great meals. He wears a tailored suit. He has a guard carry his personal toilet paper to the toilet for him, which is where we run into Mr. Bridger going to take his morning constitutional while the guards keep watch. And inside is Charlie Crocker. Mm -hmm. And they have a conversation about it because Charlie needs funding. He knows there's nobody else to go to better than Mr. Bridger, even though Mr. Bridger is not thrilled or interested at that moment in time. Yeah. So so gross. It must have been a horrible smell. Yeah. Talking to him in that. (laughs) In the loo. Yeah, yeah. And he's initially upset with the warden that somebody was able to break in. And the warden's like, what do you want me to do yeah, about it? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he what do you want me to do about it? He's he's really livid and doesn't really want to go along with this plan until a little bit later when he finds out who he's going to be robbing. Mm-hmm. And this is a rival uh, crime organization. Mm-hmm. So he, once he finds this fact, he's all in. Yeah. He's all in. <laughs> I mean, there is some issues because it costs a lot of money to put on a robbery like this. Yeah. It's the one thing that we really learn as as the movie continues on, how thorough Charlie is. Lorna walks in on Charlie. He is with three other women. And some of the women that Lorna had given him as a surprise. Heartthrob Michael Caine yeah. banging four other, three other chicks. Yeah. And Lorna comes in. She's not too happy. She Pretty pissed she off. Makes them all leave. I was going to say she lit a fire in his bed, but I realized we watched The Social Network last night. That's from a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong movie. Sorry. I combined two films. But yeah, she she's upset. But they have a, a funny little scene. She got pinched, didn't she? For taking the car? Mm-hmm. And so she had to talk her way out. 
Yeah, she got out of that whole situation. Yeah, but Lorna is still I- involved in this heist at this point. Yeah, because he's he's like, she's like, uh, hey, have you noticed anything? Like, I've been gone for a while. Like, I've been in jail. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, whatever. Two guys walk in on them while they're having a little argument. Bridger is finally interested in Charlie's scheme. He's yeah. got confidence in Charlie. He's read the paper, so he knows what's up about this situation, that it's going to be coming from a rival organization's money, and he wants anything to hurt their organization. There's a great sense of national pride in taking money from the Italian mafia, right? Yeah. It really is. Like, there's a scene later on when everything comes, spoiler, it all works out, guys. Well, we think. Yeah. But uh, they, they think it does work out, and they're like, they're cheering Mr. Bridger on as he comes down. Like, there's this huge moment of national pride. Yeah, fuck the Italians. Like, yeah. it's kind of a kind of a weird kind of thing in this, but I, I guess it's part of what they were like the back culture. then. Yeah, the culture back then, something I'm unfamiliar with. And a fascinating look at it, by the way. But yeah, he's, he's now all about it. They need a computer guy. So this brings us uh, Professor Peach, who is... Uh, Benny Hill. <laughs> Uh, 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 yeah, uh, a fun and, and vile character to some extent, mm-hmm. because uh, he's what we'd call a chubby chaser. He likes his ladies large and in charge, yeah. thick. Like, he really does like it. It's a great gag when they talk. He was molesting one of the women. They bring the women in, and the woman in, and she's rather rotund. Yeah. And Michael Caine and his associate look at each other like, okay, we get it now. <laughs> but he cannot control himself around big women. But that does not mean he is not brilliant with 1960s computers, which are basically gigantic machines with a tape-to-tape reel for storage. Those computers were state-of-the-art for that time. Oh, they absolutely were. And that was, I looked into that, that was a big deal. Italy had switched their traffic system over to using those at the time, and it was like in the news, which is why this was a plot element in the film. Yeah. That they were using that to control their traffic as opposed to everybody else not having synchronized lights. Weird that we don't take that, we take synchronized lights for granted, but eventually someone had to put them in with room-filling computers in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And that's where they started. Charlie introduces everyone who's involved in the heist. They're all sitting around a conference room and they're just talking about what their jobs are going to be. And Michael Caine's laying out everybody's position. Yeah, that. this is a typical scene in a lot of heist movies. He's telling everybody what they do, what what the job's going to be, how it's going to work. We're going down the plan. And it, it's just a, a simple scene of that showing off everyone's charisma and getting them all together in on this act. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all it really accomplishes. I, I think after this is the scene with the funeral, right? They, I'm ahead. Charlie goes and checks out the mini coops they're going to use. Okay, yeah. The mini coops are being tested. This is where they go to the track and they try to get, I guess they're trying to line up yeah, the they, jump yeah, they have they, to take. They've planned out the route and we don't know that they planned out the route. We just see the training, right? Mm-hmm. We know that they're getting this stuff ready for, for things and they're going through mini coopers and Mr. Bridger's annoyed that they need more stuff because they're still planning things out. And obviously the, the, the best gag in the movie that you heard in the trailer earlier, the yeah. legendary one, is they have to blow the, the, the doors off of it. And it's a great shot because it goes five, four, three, two, one. Each number, a whip zoom, a little bit closer into this armored vehicle. And then it blows up. And Michael Caine slowly looks over and goes, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great line because he completely destroys the truck. Like, oh, my bad. So, I mean, this movie has a real great deal of humor. It's a it's a brilliant joke. It made me laugh then. I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. I'd never heard the line before. I'd heard the line, but I, it never really dawned on me. I heard people say that line when doing a Michael Caine impression without knowing what the context was. Yeah. This is where Bridger gets a little concerned that Charlie is wasting way too much money. Yeah. I mean, and it is a concern. I mean, he yeah, really is going, going through, through cars. Yeah, but he's being very thorough. 
He's being very, because the last thing you want is a surprise when you're on a big heist and can go to jail for the rest of your life or be, get cement shoes by the mafia. Yeah. Well, it's worse than that. You know, they'll blow you up and just throw you off. So it's, uh, he does have to be careful. And I like that. Charlie goes over the plan with his men again. Mm-hmm. He wants to make sure that they know what's doing. In parallel to this, you see Bridger watching a film with a guy explaining the risks of the plan. A lot of people making 16 millimeter films themselves explaining things. Bridger goes to meet with Charlie, and Bridger warns Charlie this is the fake funeral. about the job because they're stealing from the mob. Yeah, like he lets him know that the stakes are higher than initially thought. Yeah. And I love the line that basically ends it with, like, you come back with the gold, don't come back at all. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, this the stakes are high. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a kind of a fun movie, but, you know, you need to have real stakes in any kind of heist movie. In Ocean's Eleven or anything like that, we'll cover those one day. But, you know, you just need those stakes. And they're they're pretty good here. They're mm-hmm. high. You know, there's a level of danger to it. And it only gets reinforced as, as Charlie continues on and actually has to deal with some of the mission. Charlie uh, gets the bus and Mini Coops in position. They drive and, and, and just around the corner is a bunch of men with guns pointed right at them. Yeah, the, the crew splits up, and so Crocker gets immediately met up in the Alps by the Mafia. Yeah. They put on a demonstration for him. Yeah. Now, they put on a demonstration, but Charlie is suave enough to talk his way out of getting straight up murdered. Yeah. And, you know, he, Charisma 10 sometimes pays off. But the mob boss is Altabani? Altabani. Is, am I saying that right? <laughs> I'm assuming so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and he destroys the cars, like I said. Yeah. He- like you said. He uh, takes each car on a bulldozer and bulldozes all three cars. Yeah, he destroys the vehicles that they have, and he makes and a special display of, of Charlie's car, which mm-hmm. he loves. But it's destroyed, and they're all gone. There's so much pollution in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Throwing cars down the fucking Alps. Yeah. Yeah, you're in a car. Throw it down the fucking Alps. What's cool is Charlie kind of threatens the guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Charlie talks his way out of it, but he ain't no punk. No. He ain't no bitch. That's one thing I like. Charlie's cool as a cucumber. Yeah. But he's not somebody to be... Yeah, he, he does have balls, and he's very, very smart. He's swell. He ain't underestimating anybody. There's a dinner party, and the dinner party is all the mobsters, and they're talking about stuff. Yeah. Uh, Charlie rides a little bike over to a power station. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's his solution to not yeah. having a vehicle. Because they still have to get to, uh, where to Turin. Turin is where this mm-hmm. is all taking place. A uh, fun fact about Turin. Do you know why they picked Turin? Mm-mm. They picked Turin because they had to do a big traffic jam there. And you know what a traffic jam is like? It's like a fucking traffic jam. Yeah. And with a film crew there, it's going to get mean and nasty in that situation. And Turin was special. Because they'd never had a film crew there before. So they had no idea what a massive pain in the ass it was, yeah, it was I going have... to be to shoot this. And that's why they picked Turin. I have more on this. Yeah. Oh, I know. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get to there. But that's one of the fun facts I've ever Turin was like, oh, we're all happy to have a film crew. And I'm pretty sure after day one, they're like, fuck these guys. So he rides his bike over to the power station. And he sets it off. He throws the bike over into the transformer transformer things. With the electri- electrical are. bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody here's an electrical engineer, sorry. Even though I almost was. Charlie's compatriots, meanwhile, cut open a gate. They break into a place where they are trying to hack into a computer. And I want you to know, hack into a computer in 1969 is taking a fucking screwdriver and pulling out the tape, yeah, the magnetic the tape huge drive. Huge tape drive. And but a tape drive does actually provide storage. For our younger viewers who have maybe seen reel-to-reel tapes or cassette tapes or even VHS, that's still data on there, even though it's analog. But that was really the only way to store a good amount of analog data yeah. back then. It was very expensive and very slow. But I do have a friend who, back in the day, 
his dad would copy games off the Apple II onto tape, and he would play those games back off of audio cassette tapes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was, they might have been audio cassette tapes. It could have been special. I don't remember, but I remember him doing that and being able to play like Wheel of Fortune and some of the older classic like Apple II games that I can't remember at the time. He loved Wheel of Fortune. That was the one thing he played all the time mm. until he wore the tape out. Yeah, I played that on PC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very blue type stuff in. It was a perfect game for PC at the time. Yeah. This is, and now to continue on with Gritty Reboot Wheel of Fortune. Oh, we're not talking. It just really dates us. Yeah, I know. It's, we're, we're 118 oh, years old. <laughs> they break into a place where they hack into the computer. The computer is, it controls all the lights. Yeah, it controls the traffic system is yeah. what it does. The synchronization is, is tied to what this computer can do. Then, then we have a scene where Charlie ships Lorna off to Geneva. Yeah, because the the heat's getting really hot, and yeah. he he, I mean, he loves Lorna. You know, he he likes Lorna. Yeah, he doesn't want anything bad to happen He's to Lorna. Girl. He doesn't he doesn't want that at all. So he has to send her away so nothing will occur to protect her. Yeah, because I mean they they they're deep in the shit. If something goes bad, they're gonna fucking kill her, and doesn't want that to happen. Yeah, and I like that. You know, it, it lets you know what Charlie is about. We talk about this a lot, the myth of the kind, just criminal. Mm-hmm. You know, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite examples with Mike Ehrmantraut, mm-hmm. who we would consider to be an honorable man, right? Yeah. But he is a criminal. Yeah. And he kills people when he has to. And, you know, and I, I like that idea. It's a myth that exists within fiction. If you're committing crimes and killing people, you're probably a piece of shit and a bad person. And you can tell yourself any lie you want to convince yourself you are. But in fiction, it works, right? Yeah. It's a good myth, and I, and I like it here. It's another one to reinforce that idea. Charlie meets everyone back at the hideaway in Italy. They all have gloves on, and Charlie's yeah. being a real stickler for the plans. I mean, he is just being a total Nazi about it. As he should be. Not a Nazi, but he should be a stickler for the plans. Yeah. He asks Bill to burn the map and reminds everyone to drive on the correct side of the road. Yeah, because apparently they, they do a different side. They do our side of the road. Yeah, they do. I, I, I didn't know that until I watched either. this. Yeah, I was like, oh, good to know. I just thought all European countries. I assumed as, as well, yeah. <laughs> different side of the pond, different side of the road. Yeah. Has uh, Professor Peach been pinched yet, or is that coming up? He's, it. it's coming up. Okay, okay. <laughs> I had that in my notes. <laughs> I laughed uncontrollably when I wrote The it. professor gets on a trolley. Yes. And this is, uh, like Charlie's getting tired of his gang shit. The convoy is on its way. They head out. One guy knocks out the security footage in the piazza. Yeah, yeah. He, he takes basically out all, all the cameras, and, and we're inside the CCTV facility, and they see him go down one by one mm-hmm. by one by one. So they know something's up, but he, I'm sure at this point, 1969, tech issues were probably Slow something. Slow to react, yeah. Yeah. So it takes a little bit. It's, it's not like it is today. If cameras go down, people are on that instantly, because mm-hmm. we know that's something. In 1969, they don't realize that yet. Yeah. Yeah. They, they think the system's infallible. The traffic lights go nuts, causing a traffic jam. Yeah. Wrecks start happening, forces the mobsters to lose the convoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before this is when Professor Peach, he goes to prison. He goes to jail for groping that woman on the trolley. Yeah. And we didn't mention that, but it's a funny scene when they're taking him in there. Oh, this fat woman's like slapping him with her bag. Well, he, <laughs> he just, she's having a hard time getting up into the trolley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he very happily puts his hands right on her butt. yeah. And pushes her up. Oh, yeah. He gets he gets his hands gets in there. His gets hands a good full. grip. <laughs> what a fucking pervert. I know. I made me laugh. I really did. What a fucked up way for him to not get any of the money in the crime. Yeah. Because he's in an Italian prison. The gang winds their way around the traffic by going through alleyways. The gang starts to fight a bit while they wait for the convoy. Yeah. They get behind it. 
they put on the helmets and they strike. Yeah, yeah. So th- the this initial part of it goes almost swimmingly. They only have a couple of issues, but it, it does go pretty well where they're able to get the truck, move it into the facility that they have cordoned off for themselves so they can load the gold from there into the Mini Coopers. Yeah, the Mini Coopers are ready. Yeah, and they did test this. They, they used lead weights in the Mini Coopers to see how much that would weigh them and slow them down. Charlie hooks up the vehicle with the money and they transfer the cash. Yeah. Then the cops show up. And they start ramming the door to get into where Charlie and his gang are. The door is, is a big door, barricaded, so they really are just slamming into that thing They're over and over Slamming a truck again. into it. Yeah, trying to get through that door to save the money. And by the time they get to, Charlie and his gang are, are gone. Yeah, ghosts. it's too late. Yeah. The mini coops escape through what looks like a mall. The police chase yeah. after them. It's a mad wild goose chase through the city. Mm-hmm. They lose the police in a Mini Coop lot. They pull up and it's like a bunch of Mini Coops everywhere. And there's three spaces and they pull up into those spaces <laughs> yeah. and they turn everything off. And the cops go right past him. Yeah, yeah. This whole sequence is something that really has to be seen. It's it, it's crazy. A, Once again, all practical. Yeah. There's no CG. There's nothing like that. They're not even using any models. They're doing all these uh, driving effects with these Mini Coopers that they would eventually run into the ground. There would be no functional Mini Coopers left after this movie. If you ever go anywhere and someone says, oh, we have a working version of uh, one of the Mini Coopers for the Italian job, they're a fucking liar. Yeah. They were all destroyed. Any Mini Cooper that's from that movie is a recreation. They were all completely fucked by this production. Yeah. Because they used real driving stunts, yeah. so they got completely destroyed. They didn't give a shit about saying them. They didn't know it was going to be a classic movie. <laughs> so they're, they're, if you ever see that, if somebody ever says that in trivia, there's no such thing as a Mini Cooper from this movie. They were all destroyed. The police go to the security camera monitoring station, but obviously they're still trying to piece together what's going on with the cameras. Yeah. The Mini Coops are still being followed by the police, but they lose them when they jump across a roof. This is a very cool scene. These cars are going about 70 miles an hour on the roof here. And they hit a very mild ramp, by the way. And this was a dangerous stunt. And they just hit it, and they were able to jump to the next roof. And it's great, because the police car comes and stops in just the nick of time. What's crazy is, it's not just one stunt. It's three, yeah, stunts, three stunts done simultaneously. And that's the thing. What about the film? You're going to see every stunt done three times. Yes. Because there's three cars in this. Well, there's a fourth. There's a van that's so not there's really three stunt drivers, like, yeah. bossing it up out there. Yeah, yeah. They're, they, they said, oh, I did want to mention, there is a van, by the way. One of the things that helps cover these guys is there was just a match the day before between uh, England and Italy. So there would be a ton of Englishmen still walking around. It wouldn't make them stick out. And that is the cover that the other half of the gang is using mm-hmm. to get out of the city as soccer fans, football fans, I should say. Yeah. So we're talking about footies. Here. Footies. Yeah, they're they're dressed all like it and they're they're in a van taking off and they'll meet up with everybody later. The mobsters are looking for them as well. Yeah, because Altabayani, he <laughs> I don't think I didn't say it like that. He is aware that he's like, listen, we've got to catch these guys. They've got a plan to get out of the city. They wouldn't have done this if they didn't have a plan to get out, which shows you his intelligence right there. Yeah. So I mean, Michael Caine is going against already a smart and capable foe. Yeah. We get some more really impressive car stunts. Mm-hmm. The Mini Coops lose the cops again, crossing a dam. It's a bunch of water. I think it's a dam. It, yeah, I it's think it is too. It's just a bunch of water, and then there's some metal uh, cement pieces. Yeah, they're, they're driving over like some aqueducts or whatever, and there's about like, what, six inches to eight inches of water that they're sort of yeah. driving through. Uh, it looks really impressive. It really does in, in, in these sort of wide shots. Cinematography is excellent in the film. 
but the police are foiled again. Yeah, yeah. And the police, I mean, the police try. That's the one thing I want to say. The police are hanging in there as long as they can. Yeah. And just like having hell trying to catch these motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. and Because th- that, that's one of the sequences I like. And then when they drive on the top of the building and leave the copper in the dust is another one, too. The building they were on was the Fiat factory. Yes. Yeah. The Fiat factory. Yeah. One of the f- <laughs> uh, well, you have to remember, too, you have to find a building that's going to have the capacity to carry a, a 1,500 pound vehicle. Three, three Mini Coopers. Three, yeah. Three Mini Coopers and then the, uh, the cop car as well. Yeah. So that, that was something that had to be uh, considered as well. Bridger gets told that they've done it. And this is where you get the scene of him celebrating. Yeah, we played a little bit earlier in the trailer, Everyone's but yeah, celebrating. everybody in the prison's like, yeah, they're yeah, cheering. They're chanting. And yeah, he does this victorious walk as he comes down the steps. It's a really huge moment. And you're almost kind of in one, like, yeah, we did it. I remember that's how I felt watching the movie. Like, yeah, wait, I didn't do anything. But like, you're just kind of caught up in the joy of this film. Yeah, the actor that played Bridger had some health issues. Oh, yeah. So it took them a long time to shoot that scene. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, he had a hard time walking. Oh, wow. You, you would not be able to tell from that. He has such a triumphant strut. They filmed it over several days. Next, we have the Mini Coops, and they're getting loaded onto the bus. Now, they're- this is insane. Yeah. Because they do it all by moving. Too. Yeah, yeah. Because once again, they're not doctoring this in any way. There's not like a green screen cut or anything like that. They are literally on a highway. Now, granted, I think, I don't know if it's Italy where they shot this part. But this was an unopened stretch of highway they just built. So they were by themselves. So they didn't have to worry about any bogeys coming through to fuck with the whole thing. But you basically have the bus that they secured earlier. That is their main transportation to get out of Italy and back into, back into the UK. And they are driving each Mini Cooper into the bus yeah. while going 50 miles an hour yeah. on the road. It's really impressive. Because once again, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, they probably faked that. I was like, wait. You can't fake that. It's 1969. Some driver had to drive into a bus and stop before he destroyed and killed the guy driving it. Because that's what happens if he screws up, right? Yeah. He just drives through the, the front of the bus and kills whoever the driver is and crashes the bus. So this is dangerous as fuck. Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, it they looks, do it three times. Yeah, three, three times. It looks so good. Yeah. You can feel the danger in it and everything like that. And the plan coming together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's truly a thing of beauty. It really is. They push the mini coops off the cliff one by one. You get yeah, to see them a, smash all the way down. Yeah, this is a great scene. They're driving their way and they're finding the time and they're like, now! And they push one down. It comes all the way down to the bottom of the Alps. And they do it uh, three times and the third vehicle explodes on impact. Yeah, it's a flaming wrecking ball. Once again, more pollution at the bottom of the Alps. It's very satisfying, though. I yeah, enjoy yeah. watching those cars crash it, it, Yeah, it was a, it's fantastic watching the plant all come together. They load the gold again up onto the bus. Yeah, they, they obviously they, they did take the gold out of the Mini Coopers where they did this. This is where we have our conclusion to the movie. They crash because the driver of the bus is driving the bus like an asshole. Yeah, he's driving a, a little bit recklessly mm-hmm. in this situation. And he's and laughing the whole time. Yeah, he really is. They picked the wrong guy for this bit. They crash and they end up half rocking Coach, on the, by the side way, of a person. cliff. Yeah, Coach, Coach ends up... Taking the the bus and they are teetering mm-hmm. off of a cliff. Yeah, and it leads to a very tense scene mm-hmm. where Charlie's like, "Everybody, come towards me!" And they do, and like the gold is just there, teetering. So here he is trying to crawl on his hands and legs, taking it very slowly. As you see the bus go a little bit back, 
Yeah. And they balance it out some more. And it's like this back and forth. Like, you know, are these guys going to die in this bus? Are they going to be able to save the gold? Are they going to be able to save themselves? And when this movie is right at its most interesting point, the gold slides further back. Yeah. And they're fucked. They're absolutely fucked. And I love it because Charlie goes, I got a plan. I got a plan. And the movie comes out of the bus and we have a swirling shot around it. And instead of ever finding out what happens, the credits begin to roll. Yeah, that's it. A perfect way to end this movie. Yeah. In my head, Canon, of course he figured it out. Mm-hmm. He got all the gold, got back to England and got the girl. Realistically, they probably all died. Yeah. But I happen to believe that Charlie had an idea to get the gold out of there because he's a smart ass guy. Where was she? At least that's my headcanon. I, uh, I'm torn on the ending because I never like that a movie ends abruptly, but I like the ambiguity of it that we're led to believe what we're led to believe. We already have the falling action. Yeah. Which is the victory of them. After they got it and Bridger coming down. That's the falling act. Yeah. We have succeeded in the goal. We are celebrating. And then something happens that is inconsequential to the plan, but obviously pretty big deal to our heroes. Mm -hmm. And I like it. I think it's an incredibly cool way to end the movie where you don't really know if they got out. It's still a caper to you as an audience member as you leave because we don't know if they made it. We don't know. And it's just fun to speculate till the end of time if they did. A lot of the bad reviews that I read were about the ending. Oh, really? A lot of people didn't like the ending. Fools. But a, 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 movie, on it. a movie doesn't have to tie everything up into a little bow for you. It just doesn't have to do yeah. that. And I think this movie, that ending is a bit of a reward to the audience. Like I said, the caper will continue forever because you just don't know if they made it. Mm-hmm. You know that they did the most difficult part and they screwed up something real simple to drive back. But you know, can they overcome? I, I think they did. Honestly, I think Charlie found a way out of that situation. And they maybe didn't save the bus, but they got the gold out of there and had to hike it all the way back to the UK. You know, how they did that, I don't know. But in my head canon, I know that he did because that's the kind of guy that Charlie is. Mm -hmm. Or he went down with that fucking gold. (laughs) But either way, I just really like that ending. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't have to be definitive. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Like in The Graduate, like when they run out of that chapel hand in hand and they sit there and that look on their face of like, what the fuck did we just do? Yeah. I love that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. That the questions for us, we're left to ponder till the end of time. If they're, we're okay. If they split up a week later, if she went back to that guy, it doesn't matter. What matters is that journey with us, with those characters Mm -hmm. and the same thing here. I love this ending and I'm not saying it's one of my favorites ever, but I I just love it. I really do. I love this movie. Yeah. It It was so good. It's a nine. Yeah. This is a nine. This is a great movie. If you haven't seen The Italian Job, you need to go do it right now. You need to go kick Mark Wahlberg in the head and go watch this movie. Yeah. Seriously, kick Mark Wahlberg in the head. He once beat up a, a, a man and blinded him. He's an asshole. Yeah, he's a, he's a bad man. Yeah, we'll talk about Mark Wahlberg more next week and Ed Norton. But yeah, th- this is just such, such a, de- a delight. Yeah. And I'm glad you got to watch it and really enjoy it. Yeah. There's other movies out there that I've always wanted to see, and I'm glad that I saw it. Yeah, this is, you can cross it off your list. Mm-hmm. Okay, some information about this movie. BMC, or British Motor Corp, owners of the Mini Coupes, refused to donate any cars for this movie. They were dicks. The chief of Fiat offered to donate as many cars as they wanted, but Peter Collinson thought the movie was more British with the Minis. Fiat still donated scores of cars for filming, as well as the factory grounds. The authorities refused to... To close the roads, but the Italian mafia stepped in and <laughs> shut whole sections of Turin down for filming. 
The traffic jams in the movie are real, as are the yeah. people's actions during it. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, it's a real traffic jam. And you know, when the writer wrote that, he was like, okay, we'll probably cut this or come up with another idea that's a little more simple. And the director was like, oh, no, we're doing all this. We are 100% going to do all <laughs> this. And like I said, that's why they picked Turn, because they, they knew they, they could pull it off there. And I think that's sort of interesting is that the writer was like, okay, we won't be able to do some of these car stunts I have an idea for. He's like, oh, no, we're going to do all this shit. We're going to do it all. You're going to love it. <laughs> and, and and they really did. I think that's what's truly impressive about it because you can't fake the car. I mean, yeah, you could have shot this you know, with rear projection inside of a studio, but this movie would be nothing if that was the case. The idea that there was a real fucking traffic jam that you could see with your eyes and know it's there, feel those people frustrated about being stuck, it lends that authenticity to the film. And it also reinforces how much the Italian mob really loved film. Anything about well, them, even if it was negative, they liked it. Yeah, I, I can't stress the the mafia is very pleased with their portrayal in yeah. most of Hollywood. You know, and oddly enough, you know, the the mafia and film sort of go hand in hand. They've worked with each other many times over yeah. the years. A lot of funding has been provided that way. A lot of protection has been set up by the mob. If you're going to work in a dangerous area, you know, you're probably going to want some dangerous guys to make sure your stars are taken care of. And so this has, you know, protection you know, loans and things like that. Now, I'm not saying the loans always work out well. I've heard some stories. But uh, my old mentor, Fred, he got himself into a situation like that where he was making a movie for the mafia. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go well. <laughs> now, he made it out fine, but not everybody did. But that's the thing. You know, when you're dealing with the mafia, sometimes people get their legs broken. Mm -hmm. But this is something Hollywood has had a long tradition. And obviously, I guess, whatever the British version of Hollywood would be of, of working with the mafia in these sorts of situations. So we talked about this already a little bit, but just more information. Um, according to Michael Caine, the movie did not perform well at the box office due to misleading ad campaign in America. The U.S. poster featured a scantily clad woman with a map on her back kneeling in front of the mafiosa holding a machine gun. While promoting the movie in the U.S., Caine saw the poster and became so irate that he immediately flew home to England. I'm, I'm right now Googling American... Italian job poster. I know it's just going to give me the Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I had a hard time with that too. Yeah, no, because I, I wanted to look for the initial trailer and I, I couldn't find, even though someone told me it's on the DVD and I'm like, well, I'm not going to find the Italian job DVD anywhere. Yeah. It didn't have it in the not library. these days. So in case you were curious, this is it. And I obviously, I will put it. Gentlemen, you can see this as the cover art for this episode. Wow. Yeah. like That is not at all what this movie is about. It makes it look like such a darker film that way. Michael Caine is not on the movie. That's not Lorna as the woman. It's just sort of this weird misogynistic image yeah. that doesn't give off anything about the vibe of the film. Yeah. It's truly awful. I don't know who signed this one. Oh, Simon Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine signed that one. He must have signed that and been pissed off. But it's it, it truly is an, an abysmal poster for this film. Michael Caine mentioned in his autobiography that Benny Hill was a professional and Benny Hill was a professor, but a very shy and private person who never socialized with the cast. He stayed alone in his room, even if the whole cast stayed in the hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's something I would never have guessed. I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have thought that. The roof-to-roof -roof jump was filmed on the roof of the Fiat factory. Some crew members walked off the, off the set for fear it would end in fatality. And the Italian Fiat workers made a sign of the cross to the stuntmen. Yeah, I mean, as I told you, it's a dangerous stunt. It's a dangerous stunt. They nailed it, but it's still dangerous. The job was stealing $4 million in gold from Italy. Noel Coward tells Michael Caine he's about to steal 
a thousand pounds of gold from under the noses of the mafia. In 1969, gold was about $42 per troy ounce. So a thousand pounds would be worth $612,486. They would have to steal about 6,530 pounds to equal 4 million in bullion. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of weight. So it didn't match. Yeah, and that's usually the way it is. I, I remember seeing this on the Rush Hour a DVD. Brett Ratner was talking about, you know, they have like $4 million in a suitcase. Mm-hmm. The props department let me know that it would take 15 suitcases to put $4 million inside of. And that's the whole reason why we only have $100 bills. is So you can't move $15 million in cash around without, you know, a moving truck full of money. Yeah. So that, that's why it is that way. But it's another thing as well to sort of think about realistically. We're used to a guy carrying a briefcase with like $10 million inside of it. That's a complete fabrication to me. Yeah. Reviews for this. Got a 4.7 user review, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. So it has one of the highest IMDb scores we've had. Oh, wow. Here is a one-star review. Somebody who really did not like this movie. I don't know whether the Italian job is supposed to be a dark comedy, a heist flick, an action movie, or something else altogether. It's certainly not entertaining. The setup is contrived and dull. Every character is unsympathetically and monotone. Even the lead. But then there's something about young smug Michael Caine that rubs me the wrong way. What? His only early role that I can enjoy is Get Carter, where he's a smoldering anti-hero. Oh, oh we, get to review, we can talk about that one day. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I love Get Carter. Yeah. I hate the Stallone version. The, Continue on. The real crime is 45 minutes into the movie when the Italian mobster has his Giovanni Dario operator crush three of the most beautiful cars ever to be in a movie. All right, that's fair. I reacted with horror to a scene like SUV driving soccer moms do when they see a Sarah McLaughlin commercial for abandoned dogs. <laughs> all right, fair enough. This guy's all right. If I didn't know better, I would say this movie was conceived and financed as a mini coupe ad. The plot was an afterthought. Befitting the car's total crappiness, the minis are maxi ugly and the chase sequence as exist exciting bumper cars at the local fair. The whole dull affair is only partially redeemed when the driver the bus through the mountains and roll through gassy cars down a mountainside. <laughs> Kudos for that. Wow. Hater. Well, this guy was not a fan at all. Yeah, he was drinking haterade. Yeah, that's the only way I can really describe it. That's a real shame, too. I can give it to him on the cars being crushed. I love your hair, by the way. I can, the Meredith's hair is completely crushed under her headphones. <laughs> She's adjusted them three times, and it's it's like. It keeps slipping. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very strange. <laughs> but it's making me smile. <laughs> But I can get behind this guy's idea of those cars being destroyed. That sucks. Mm-hmm. That really does. Roger Ebert did not officially review the Italian job, sadly. Oh, wow. Well, it came out in 1969. I think he would have liked it. Yeah. I, I, and I've, I've looked. He talked positively about the film, but he never actually had an official review of the Italian job. Mm. Once again, now, I'm not saying it's not out there, but everything I found was him talking about the 2003 film. Well, at least we'll have it. And we'll have it for now. And if I do find it, I will read that review next week in case I just stumble onto it. But I, I did my usual bit of research. I went to ask Jeeves and I said, Jeeves, can you find me Roger Ebert's review? And he said, I've been shut down for 20 years. I was going to say, is Ask Jeeves the same? It's <laughs> I, 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 went, I went to Dogpile and I said, can oh you my find God. me? You are I went to Lycos. Up the old ones. I went to Excite and I, <laughs> I think Excite is, is Yahoo. And I didn't ask Yahoo. I, 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 I usually use Bing. I think Dogpile is Bing. No. Well, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Everything is, uh, was something else at one point. Yeah. 
But I was unable to find it, so that that does sadly not have. We, I still can't get an Ebert review in because Ebert didn't talk about Suspiria, and, and Ebert said nothing about Suspiria. I searched deep and didn't find anything, and obviously he had passed away by the yeah. remakes time. So, but we will have him next week, man. If I find anything else, I'll have it for you. And I do have him reviewing the Italian job with Richard Roper in 2000. So I actually have the audio from the show. Oh, good. So we'll have that to look forward to next week when we cover. Yeah, we're just doing pretty much one movie per show, but we really wanted to talk about the Italian job yeah. a lot. We ended up liking it a lot more than we thought we would, and we wanted to express that to you. I give it a pure 9 out of 10. I love it. Highest recommendation I can really give. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's yeah. a 9 out of 10. I, I, re- I recommend you try it. If you're in America, it's on Paramount+. Plus. It is a Paramount movie produced by Paramount+. And so it is a proud film in their catalog. So I don't know if Paramount Plus is available in other countries, but if you, you, you should do whatever you can to try to find this movie. If not, just go ahead and rent it. Yeah. And we've changed up our format because we, uh, we think it's better that we give you our full attention on each movie. Yeah. Like I said, if you want to compare and contrast, you know, and we'll, we'll do a compare and contrast at the end of next week's episode, mm-hmm. where we talk about both movies back and forth, especially since I know we're a little less enamored with the, the remake here. And, you know, you just listen to the two episodes back to back. I think it's just easier to digest this yeah. way. And it, it makes it easier for us just having to research the one movie and keep everything straight. Because I think we've covered the Italian job pretty damn well today. Mm-hmm. Pat myself on the back. Yeah, because you don't realize you get facts mixed up. Mix, mixed up. Yeah, this happens a lot where you get yeah. the, the plots of some movies confused because they're all very similar. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying we won't ever do two movies again. You know, I'm, there's there's going to be opportunities for that when we come up. or There's going to be a big Dracula special coming up next year where we go down the line and do the Dracula reboots. And that's a pure month of yeah, just talking about, you know, a lot of Dracula, you know, and we'll break it up. We'll start with Nosferatu's and move to Dracula and then go from there and talk about the note, not everyone, but we'll just talk about the notable ones mm-hmm. or at least the ones that I think are notable. But you know, next week we're going to finish up the Italian job and I'm, I'm hoping there's at least some enjoyment in it. I'm almost kind of dreading it at this point with how much I've enjoyed the original film. Yeah. It's not going to be good. Yeah. I've only seen it one time and I remember. I do like F. Gary Gray, who directs the movie. I think he's a fantastic director. Underrated. So I'm sure there'll be great chase scenes in it because he did a Fast and Furious movie. So I'll be generally at least excited by that. Less excited by Marky Mark. Yeah. uh, Who I'm never a big fan of, but Charlize Theron I do love. So that'll be great. Good to see her. Yeah. The Mustaf, I think Seth Green's in it. Hopefully it'll be a good time and you'll come back and join us and let's do us complain about how Hollywood ruined the Italian job. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, guys, I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. All right, guys, you stay safe out there.